A friend recently told me about a conversation she had with a photographer for Sunset Magazine. My friend loves looking at the magazine's photos of these beautiful homes. And so she was genuinely curious to hear about what goes into the photographer's work. In describing what the process involves, the photographer happened to mention, in passing, that it's not unusual for them to cut the cord of a lamp or an appliance in order to clean up the scene. The photographer thought nothing of this statement, but it bewildered my friend. She had to ask, wait, you literally cut the cord on them? So, like, these ideal homes aren't actually functional? It's amazing, but not terribly shocking when you think about it. In an effort to sell us the idea of perfection, advertisers have become accustomed to selling us a lie, an idea presented as possible, but rooted in fallacy. But we know this already. No one believes an ad that claims that a person lost 100 pounds and gained a six-pack in just 10 weeks. I wish. Halavai. Nobody believes a picture when you see this incredibly skinny model who has unhealthy and unrealistic proportions. Looks like a Barbie doll. These ridiculous examples are very easy to dismiss. But what happens when, we're not, when what we're looking at is not trying to sell us something outright? What happens when it's a magazine showing us what someone's perfect home looks like? Or when it's someone posts on Instagram a photo of yet another typical day with their perfect family? These examples are far more insidious because we don't stop to question their veracity. We don't think that they're trying to sell us anything, but they are trying to sell us something. They're selling us the myth of perfection. And the myth of perfection permeates every aspect of our life. We're told that if we want to be the perfect parent, we have to do X. If we want the perfect job, we have to do Y. If we want to get into the perfect school, then we need to get perfect grades. We're told we need to have perfect beach body and that we have to go on the perfect vacation. And we sure as hell better get the perfect photo to capture that perfect moment so our friends can post the perfect comment when we inevitably share that perfectly private moment with the entire world. And since it's impossible to actually attain this imagined perfect ideal, even if what we have in our lives is pretty fantastic, we still tell ourselves that there must be something out there that's better, whether it's a job, school, a house, even our partners. And this this dissatisfaction sets us up for failure and for even more disappointment. The myth of a perfect life became glaringly obvious to us this past year as we witnessed the deaths by suicide of two people whose lives were envied 
by so many, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. These deaths would have been upsetting in any case, but because they came so quickly in succession, they shocked us in a way that triggered a national conversation. Partly because, from the outside, their lives seemed so perfect. But what their deaths show us is that no life is perfect, no matter how much we believe and how much we're led to believe that to be true. Every life is flawed, and we should not buy into the myth of perfection. The late Dr. Sidney Blatt was a professor of psychology at Yale. He was known for his writings on the destructiveness of perfectionism. He claims that it's the drive to attain perfection that leads to such serious conditions as obsessive-compulsive and eating disorders, the need to be perfectly in control of one's life, or narcissism, the need to see oneself as perfect, and depression, which can often be a reaction to one's failure to achieve perfection. And it's the underlying desire for perfection that is so destructive, not only to the individuals who suffer from these conditions, but also to the people around them who love them and who care for them. The idea of perfection is even antithetical to Judaism. Simply looking at the great leaders of our tradition, we can easily see that they were flawed individuals. Avraham engaged not once but twice in arrangements with foreign leaders that felt eerily similar to the theme of the film Indecent Proposal. Yaakov lied to his father and swindled his brother, and then went in hiding because he was afraid that his brother was going to kill him because he cheated him. What did he do? He cheated and stole from his uncle. Moshe was a murderer. He killed two Egyptians when he saw them beating a Hebrew slave. That is why he went into hiding into Midian. David was both an adulterer and a murderer. He was so taken by Bathsheba that he slept with and impregnated her while her husband was off fighting one of David's wars. And then, when the husband Uriah questioned why he was called back from the war so abruptly and refused to sleep with his own wife, David had him sent to the front lines where he was quickly killed. Even God, who is supposedly all-knowing and all-powerful, is constantly changing God's mind and getting things wrong. How many times God contemplates starting over and making profound changes? The first people were wicked, so let's flood the earth. The Israelites are complaining, Let's start over again with Moshe and Moshe's descendants instead. The fact is, flawed and imperfect figures are central to our tradition. Even God, who we hold up as an ideal, is not perfect. And this isn't a bad thing. 
Rather, it's a crucial aspect of our tradition. Our ancestors achieved greatness in spite of being flawed individuals, which teaches us that perfection is a fallacy and that there simply is no room in Judaism for perfection. A major problem with chasing an unattainable ideal is that doing so can prevent us from seeing other areas in our lives that could actually use our attention. The Talmud tells a story of a Rav Rechumi. He lived in a different city from his wife so that he could study Torah all day with the best rabbis of his time. But every year, like clockwork, he would return home to his wife on Erev Yom Kippur. However, one year, he became so engrossed in what he was studying that he was so focused on mastering the text that he lost track of time and he forgot to return home to his wife. His wife waited and waited for him, becoming increasingly worried that something had happened to him. The rabbis say it was at the very moment that a tear fell from her cheek that the roof on which Rav Rechumi was sitting collapsed and he died. The great irony is that if we spent less time worrying about greatness and trying to be perfect in any given aspect of our lives, we could actually become better if not achieve greatness in so many other ways. For instance, if I were to strive to be the perfect rabbi, always there for my congregants, responding to my emails right away, delivering the best sermons, teaching all sorts of classes, planning the best programs, cranking out a constant stream of best-selling books. How have I, right? I wouldn't have time to be a good father or a good partner or a good friend. But if I give up on the idea of being a perfect rabbi, I could likely still achieve the status not only of being a great rabbi, but also a great father and a great partner and a great friend. That's not to say it would be easy to achieve such greatness. But instead of killing myself to attain the unattainable, I could spend each year reflecting and making a bit more progress in so many other aspects of my life. That's what this holiday is all about. This entire system of repentance and tshuva is predicated on the fact that perfection is unattainable. Otherwise, there would be no reason to go through this exercise year after year because we'd eventually reach perfection and we could just call it quits. Instead, every year, we're called upon to consider our ways and to search for ways to live better lives, to be better people. What Judaism and the High Holy Days teach us is that we should be striving for progress, not perfection. Rabbi Harold Kushner, thank you, I'm not done. <laughs> Rabbi Harold Kushner tells a story about an experience he once had 
as a hospital chaplain. It says there was a patient who was dying in the hospital who happened to be an Episcopal minister. Rabbi Kushner visited this minister and asked if there was any unfinished business left in his life. The minister responded, there was still one sermon he wanted to deliver to his congregation. And what was such an important message that a dying minister could not bear to leave the world without delivering it? He wanted to tell his congregation that we don't need to worry about being perfect, that God loves us exactly as we are, despite all of our imperfections, because God created us exactly as God intended. This minister had spent his, his life pursuing perfection, and it led him to do many things he regretted. He knew that if only he had learned this message sooner, he could have used his time to have been a better son, friend, minister. He loved his congregation so much that he wanted to ensure that they learned this lesson with urgency so they could stop pursuing a myth and start pursuing meaning. Let us make the most of our time, both here on earth and here on the high holy days. Let's allow ourselves to let go of the myth of perfection and commit ourselves to making progress so we can become the people we know we truly can be. Shana Tovah.